You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning. Good to be with you today. God bless you on this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you dads, granddads, great granddads. And uh, those of you also who uh, have just, uh, you men who have just been a blessing uh, to someone else's child also, thank you uh, for all your kindness. Uh, we, uh, we all have uh, had, uh, had a dad. Some of us knew our father, some of us uh, did not. Some of us had excellent fathers, some of us uh, maybe not entirely, um, but all of us have a God who is an excellent, excellent father to us, and we're very grateful uh, to him for his kindness to us. Let's, uh, let's pray together and ask God to bless our dads on this Father's Day, uh, and then we'll, we'll get into our lesson today. God, our good and dear Father, the creator of all life, the creator of our universe, the creator of every person who has ever lived and every person who is here today, we honor you. Uh, you are our good Father, and we thank you. Lord, we thank you for uh, the dads who are among us today, and we pray for your blessing on them, that, that uh, we who are dads may raise our children wisely and well, uh, that we who are uh, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-grandfathers, uh, may also bless our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Lord, help uh, each of us uh, in that way. That would be our, our tremendous joy, Lord, and our delight. Lord, thank you for the children you've given uh, to our families and to our church. Bless each one of them. Lord, thank you for our dads, uh, those who were present in our lives and who were good to us and who raised us. Uh, in spite of all their faults, uh, they were blessings to us. Thank you, dear Lord. We honor you for your gift of them in our lives. But we honor you most of all as our dear Father. And we ask that you bless us this day as we worship you and as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Very glad to be able to share the scriptures with you today. Have you ever tried to move a piano by yourself? It's a little tough, isn't it? If you've ever given it a shot, I mean, those things are heavy, and, and they're rather bulky, uh, too. I mean, they're wonderful. They make beautiful music, but, man, they're just kind of heavy. Uh, if you just need to roll the piano across the floor from one end of the room to the other, and the floor is flat and smooth, not carpeted, uh, you might do okay. It might not be so bad. But, uh, boy, if you've got to move it from uh, one house to another, that's tough. You can't do it by yourself. You've got to have... Help. Several times I've helped friends move. I enjoy helping friends move. I'm not always available when I want to be, but when I can be, I, I like to go and help move things. Good exercise for me. Helps a friend. But, uh, you know, I, to be honest, I walk into somebody's house and we're moving stuff, and I look around at the furniture, and I see the piano there, and I just kind of gulp. <laughs> this is going to be a big job. Hope we have lots of people. You know, even with another person helping to lift that piano, I'm always a little scared that I'll drop it, you know? Pianos are expensive, and they make beautiful music. I, I don't want to damage it. Um, I don't want to hurt your piano, you know? So if they're, uh, they're, so, they're so heavy, and sometimes I, I get a little wobbly if, if I have to help carry it very far. I feel so much better if, if there are a couple other big, strong, young guys who can come along to help so that maybe there are four of us, one in each corner, and I feel a lot more confident about moving that piano. It's not so bad, and it's a lot safer for the piano. In Exodus chapter 18, we're going to be in the book of Acts in just a minute, but in Exodus 18, 
After God has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and shortly before the Israelites uh, meet with God at Mount Sinai, where they will receive the Ten Commandments, there's this moment when Moses is trying to move the whole piano by himself, and he's getting a little wobbly. His father-in-law Jethro, not an Israelite himself, comes to visit Moses and his family now that he's heard what God has done for, for Israel. And he sees how Moses is leading Israel. It's always nice to have the in-laws out to visit, um, though I've heard that some in-laws, not mine, might have a tendency to want to give unsolicited advice. Well, you could, you could do this a little better. Um, I, I would have done it that way. Well, Jethro had some advice from Moses. Turned out to be excellent advice, wise counsel. He noticed that when Moses sat down to judge the people's disputes, it consumed Moses' entire day. From morning till evening, Moses sat and judged the people's cases. And that didn't seem healthy to Jethro. And so he had some advice for his son-in-law. He suggested that Moses select men from among the people who could serve as judges, and they could handle the simpler cases, and then pass the hardest cases along to Moses. Now, these judges, he said, needed to be not just anyone, but specifically men who were capable, who feared God, men who were trustworthy and who would never take a bribe. It's not just anyone who would make a good judge. And Moses, like me, listened to his father-in-law. Now, I have to be careful what I say here. Sometimes my wife's parents listen to the recordings of, of my sermons. <laughs> Moses' father-in-law said, Choose some well-qualified well men and appoint them as judges. And Moses did. And that heavy piano he had always had to, uh, that he always had to move got a little bit lighter. He had some guys to help him carry it. And these men made Moses stronger by their help. And he ended up leading Israel faithfully for 40 years. Just a year or two later, there was another rough moment for Moses in Numbers chapter 11. The Israelites were complaining, as they did too often, about living out in the wilderness, not having access to the food they wanted. They wanted, they said, to go back to Egypt. Somehow they seemed to have forgotten that they had been enslaved and oppressed there. And it bothered Moses so much, their complaints, that he actually complained to God. And he said, I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And God understood that piano was getting heavy again. And so God instructed Moses to choose 70 elders of Israel, men who were already leaders, and bring them before God. And Moses did. And God caused his spirit to, uh, what we today would call the Holy Spirit, to come on those 70 elders so that they would be empowered to bear with Moses the burden of leading the nation of Israel. 70 men. Leading Israel took a lot more help than moving a four-person piano. And Moses was able to continue to lead Israel because God helped him by empowering these men to assist him. So I tell you those stories about Moses to share with you a story from the early years of the church, some 2,000 years ago and maybe 14, 1,200, somewhere in there, years after Moses' time. We've been studying through the book of Acts, and today we're in Acts chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Acts 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews 
because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Leaving the whole church must have been a heavy burden, a wonderful burden, but a heavy burden for the 12 apostles. The church was, the, was only in Jerusalem uh, at this time. This was so early in church history that the church had not yet spread really outside of Jerusalem as far as we know. It will spread beginning in Acts chapter 8, but it just hasn't yet. Even so, even though it's located in just one city, the church was, was full of thousands of people. Chapter 4, verse 4 says there were about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. And so we could make a conservative estimate that there are at least 15,000 people in the Jerusalem church at this time, just guessing one woman and one child for every man. Then chapter 6, verse 1 that we just read says the disciples were increasing in number. And in chapter 6, verse 7, Luke says the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And so we get the impression that the church is growing well beyond 15,000 people. That is too massive a piano for 12 men to carry alone. And so then this problem comes up. It's the first ethnic division that we know of in the church. The church has a ministry by which it provides for its widows. It brings them a, a daily distribution, apparently of food, because later the apostles will talk about uh, serving tables. But some of the widows are being neglected when, as this ministry is carried out. The Hellenistic widows are being neglected, as opposed to the Hebrew widows, who apparently uh, are being uh, taken care of just fine. These groups of widows reflect two distinct groups of Jews who lived in Jerusalem at this time. The Hebrew group spoke the language of the homeland. They kept the traditional Jewish lifestyle. They didn't let themselves become too Greek or too Roman in the way they lived. The Hellenists, on the other hand, spoke Greek as their first language. Most of them had probably grown up outside the homeland. They were more comfortable with Greek customs and lifestyle. Well, Jews in these two camps had lived uh, near each other in Jerusalem in the homeland uh, for three centuries and had argued for three centuries about how much Greek culture they should adopt and how much they should hold on to the traditions of their Jewish forefathers. Now in Acts chapter 6, there seems to be some division between these two groups in the church. Maybe it's accidental. Hopefully it's accidental, but it's possible that 
someone helping to lead this ministry didn't really like the Hellenistic Jews as much and maybe sort of neglected their widows on purpose. We don't know. Hopefully it was accidental. But Luke just tells us the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. When the 12 apostles hear about this problem, they make it clear that this neglect of some of their dear sisters in the church is not acceptable. They don't even consider for a moment that they would do anything but fix this problem immediately. There is no ethnic group in the church that does not fully, completely belong to the family of God. There is no racial or ethnic or economic segment of the church that is more deserving of the church's love and assistance than another. And so the apostles begin to immediately address this problem. But there's one catch. They're already trying to move a really heavy piano. They are trying to guide God's church, thousands of people in a brand new community. They're spending all their time teaching people the good news of Jesus. And judging by the explosive growth of the church at this time, they are doing a great job. How can they do this vital work that God has given them and oversee the church's ministry to its widows? That's just adding weight to the piano. And so Jethro, so like Jethro with Moses, the apostles suggest to the church that they make a change in strategy, that they add a new component in the authority structure of the church. They say to the church, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, I don't think they mean that providing food to the widows isn't important. Like, we're doing the important work, and we're not going to give that up just to feed the widows. No, I think they're just saying that if they set down their end of the piano to pick up the other, the, the other end of the piano, the piano's still not going to get moved. There will still be something wrong, and the life of the church won't be right. This piano has just gotten too big for 12 men. And Jesus had called these 12 men specifically to preach God's word. That's what he wants them to do. And so they asked the church to choose seven men to oversee the work of distributing food to the Hellenistic widows. They can't be just any men. This is an important job. These are to be men who, they say in verse 3, are men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. These need to be capable, godly, Spirit-filled men because their work will not be about merely providing food to those in need, but also about healing a painful rift between two distinct cultural groups in the church and doing so in a way that revitalizes the church's sense of unity. So the church listens to the apostles and they choose the seven. And they bring these seven men to the apostles, godly, faithful, capable, spirit-filled men. We don't know much about five of them, but the first two of these men, Stephen and Philip, are prominent in chapters 6 through 8 as they do amazing work to build up the church and to testify to the good news of Jesus. And so these men are full of strength and, and ability from the Lord, and their capacity stretches far beyond guiding this ministry to the widows. And all seven of these men have Greek-style names, which tells us that when the church needed men to take care of the Greek-speaking widows, they chose Greek-speaking men to do it. Stephen, Stephanos in, in Greek, Philip, uh, a, a famous Greek name, 
uh, coming from a Greek king some years before. When Jenny and I moved here in 2003, the church that we left in Memphis, Tennessee, had a vibrant ministry to Chinese immigrants in that city. And when we moved here, they had just appointed two Chinese deacons, Chinese Americans, uh, as deacons to oversee that ministry. And today, one of those uh, Chinese deacons is, has become an elder in that church. We used to have a deaf deacon here who helped us uh, to lead our deaf ministry. These seven godly, Greek-speaking men must have done their job well because we don't hear about any more complaints. Uh, everything seems to have been worked out. What we do here in verse 7 is that the church continued to thrive and grow as the Word of God continued to increase in Jerusalem. These seven men, Stephen and Philip and the other five, are not called deacons in this text, but they seem to be more or less the first deacons we read about in Scripture. They seem to be sort of prototypes for what we later read about uh, as deacons in the church. Our word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos that's used in the New Testament. And that word just means servant, can also mean helper or minister, something like that. And that Greek word uh, doesn't appear in this text in noun form, but it does appear in verb form twice in this text. First in verse 2, where the apostles say it wouldn't be right for them to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's, uh, that verb there for serve comes from the Greek word diakonos, uh, serve, servant. And so the work that these seven men were appointed to do was deaconing work, the work of serving tables. Also in verse 4, the apostles say they will devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that word ministry is the uh, verb form of diakonos, serving, deaconing, serving through sharing the word of God. The seven helped lift a load of ministry off the shoulders of the apostles, just like the judges and elders helped lift some of the burden of leadership off the shoulders of Moses. The seven stepped in and made that piano a little bit lighter. And over the next 30 years or so, it became normal for churches to appoint deacons, servants, to help the church and its elders conduct the work of the church in its various forms, to make the load lighter for the elders and for the whole congregation. The Apostle Paul mentions deacons a couple of times in his letters. Church writings after the New Testament period indicate that deacons were very common in the early centuries of the church. Uh, the deacon was an important role. Like the judges and the elders in Moses' time, like the seven in Acts chapter 6, it was not just anyone who was called or well-suited to be a deacon in God's church, that position of responsibility and authority. And so Paul talks about what kind of people deacons should be. In his first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, written maybe 30 years or so, after the events of Acts chapter 6. This is what Paul says, 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be, each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul here has just written about what kind of people elders should be, and now he gives the same kind of instructions about what kind of people deacons should be. And he says deacons are to be the kind of people that the church can respect. People who are dignified. The Greek word that Paul uses here also means honorable or of good character. These need to be people uh, who uh, conduct themselves honorably and who are respected uh, in the church. They need to be men who are faithful to their wife and who manage their children and their household well. So they need to be people whose uh, care of their families is respectable. They need to be men whose wives are of excellent character. Deacons and their wives are a team, just like ministers and their wives are a team, elders and their wives are a team. One character's, one, one's character reflects on the other. Deacons need to be honest in what they say, not double-tongued, saying one thing but meaning or doing another. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain, but honest in their work and in how they handle their finances. They must not be addicted to much wine, but they need to be people who are self-controlled, free from addiction so that they can serve uh, fully. Deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, Paul says. They need to have a solid grasp of what the good news of Jesus is all about, and they need to be living it. Deacons must be tested first. If they do good work for the church and prove themselves blameless in their service and conduct, then they may be well-suited to serve as deacons. Deacons serve an important role in the church. They are leaders in service and also leaders in the spiritual life of the church. They lift up some of the burden that the elders bear, that the congregation bears, and they help to carry it. We appointed a new elder a few weeks ago. That was a good day. Lord willing, perhaps we'll be able to appoint new deacons before too long. And I would like to ask you to please pray for our church that God would provide plenty of deacons for us in due time because they help the elders and me and the congregation lift the glorious and heavy burden of church leadership and service so that we can do all the good work that God has in mind for us to do. No one person can leave the church alone. Uh, and the bigger the church is, the more people it takes to do the work that God has given the church to do. Today, we're blessed to have three deacons in our church. They manage the church's finances. They oversee the care of the building and the grounds. They help with our teen ministry. They assist in our deaf ministry. They provide some of our teaching. And they frequently just help out wherever God gives them opportunity. And I believe that God has provided deacons to us and, and loves to provide deacons to his church because he loves his church. He just loves his church. He is a good father, and he sees the needs of his church, and he wants his church to progress well in service to one another and to the community, in building each other up in Christ, and in spreading the good news of Jesus. God provided faithful men to be judges alongside of Moses, and, and he placed his spirit on those 70 elders of Israel to uh, serve alongside Moses because he loved Moses and, and because he loved Israel. And so he provided for them. 
God filled the seven with his Holy Spirit to empower them to serve when the church needed help, not just to provide for its widows, but also to heal that rift between the, uh, the Hebrew and the Hellenistic portions of the church. He did this because he loved his church. And today, God continues to provide spirit-filled men to serve in his church. He does this because he loves his church so much, and he knows the load is heavy. For us as a congregation... It is always our desire to honor God and to join Him in His good work. And so I think one way we can do that is by just appreciating our deacons, just loving them and being grateful for them, praying for them, that God would strengthen them, praying for their families, that God would bless their wives and their children, that all would do well, honoring the authority that God through His church and through the elders has given them for the work they've been called to do, because the work is not easy. And we also need to help them. You know, there's, there's no way that those seven men were the only people working to bring food to the widows in this church of fifteen to 20,000 or more people there in Jerusalem. There is no way they could have done all that by themselves. No, they needed help. They were surely leaders of teams that served the church's widows together. Deacons need the help of the church if they're going to do their work well. No deacon can do his work alone. The, the load is too heavy. They need help. Maybe there's some way that you can help one of our deacons this year. And so I would ask you to just pray about that. See what the Lord leads you to do. Maybe there's a way that you can volunteer to help one of our deacons this year. Or maybe uh, you could commit yourself to praying for one of our deacons or all three this year, or commit yourself to encouraging them on a regular basis, that would be a blessing to them and a blessing to the whole church. This is one way that we honor God for all of his kindness to us. God who gave us Jesus, God who gave us the church to be our family uh, in Christ and to help us to eternal life, God who gives us faithful people to serve and to lead and to assist us in carrying the heavy and glorious burden of helping each other live for Jesus every day. May God bless our deacons. May God bless our church. Let's pray now uh, for, for our deacons. Father, you have blessed us with uh, three men called to be deacons in our church at this time. And their wives and their families, we're so grateful for them, for Ryan and for Rich and for Johnny. We thank you for them, Lord, and we praise you. And we ask that you bless them in their work. We pray, Father, that you would help them uh, to see what you want them to do and, and then give them the time and the ability and the courage and all the resources they need to do it. Lord, stir our hearts, each one of us, that we may understand how we can best be helpful to them as they help us and as they help the whole church. Let us not, Lord, leave all the work for them to do, but call us to step in and help them lift the load that they carry. Thank you for their help uh, to the elders and to the congregation, for their help to me. Lord, we pray for them. Lord, bless them with excellent character, just as Paul described. Bless their wives with excellent character, as Paul described. Encourage them, Lord, in their faith. Help them, Father, to turn away from any sin that is in their lives. We pray for them, Lord, that uh, you would keep them close to you, that they may walk with you daily. And so be blessed by you so that they may be a blessing to us all. 
Thank you, God, for loving your church so much that you give us elders, deacons, ministers, evangelists, and workers of all other sorts to, uh, to carry out the work of your church and to help one another and to bless the community in Jesus' name. Lord, you have been good to our church here, and we pray that you would continue to bless us. Thank you for hearing our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.